this morning, we're going to continue talking about stewardship, and we have talked about stewardship in, um, in many different ways. We have talked about the fact that God has gifted each one of us uniquely, and we are to use, we are to be good stewards of that uniqueness, that God has given us gifts. He has given us natural abilities. Um, we are to be good stewards of those things that he has given us. For those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, he has given us salvation, and we should be good stewards of that salvation. He has saved us not to continue to walk in sin, but to walk in the newness of life. He has saved us to love others. He saved us not to be like, well, to do what makes sense and hate your enemies, but he has saved us to love our enemies. And so we are to be good stewards of that salvation and to live out that salvation the way that he has called. And then we spent several weeks looking at different ways of, that we should be good stewards. And today we're going to look at how to be good stewards of your finances. And I was planning on preaching 2 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. And as I prepared and prepared, I just kept thinking, uh, you know, I'm going to have to give half of chapter 8 as a preface to preaching chapter 9. So I decided I'm just going to go ahead and preach chapter 8 this week, chapter 9 next week, and then close the stewardship series with the final week will be, and there will be some of this today, but the final week will look at how we as a church have to be good stewards of our finances. That not what you individually give, but once the church has collected money from the saints for God's purposes, we as a church have to be good stewards of what God has given us. We are accountable. Leaders are accountable for how that money is spent. Um, and leaders of our different teams are accountable for what they are requesting for the budget, which it's that time of year, little shameless plug there. Um, so teams, make sure you have your budget requests sent to the finance committee. Uh, but with that said, um, before we begin to read the scripture, let me say a prayer for us. Lord, I, I am so grateful that you are everything we are not, that you fill our weaknesses in every way. And Lord, though we are weak, you are strong. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that even though we are not perfect, you are. And we can share in your perfection through you, through your son. And God, I just pray that as we read your word this morning, that it would speak truth to our hearts, that it would challenge us. And that, Lord, you would not allow us to leave here the same way that we came in. Lord, that you would help us to be less apathetic, that you would help us to be more passionate for your calls, for your mission. Lord, that you would help us to love your church more, that you would help us to love the world more, and that you would help us to be like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, there is a second letter to the Corinthians because the church was pretty messed up. It, they had some things going on that were not healthy. And so Paul wrote uh, two letters to them, and the second letter is a... It, there's still issues, but um, maybe, maybe less. They've, they've worked on some things. Uh, but in, in this passage, Paul is, he is talking to a group of people who believe in Jesus, who have faith in Jesus. But as they are living out their faith, they have made some poor decisions. And we get to chapter 8, 
And he's a little concerned because he has been in Macedonia, which would be Philippi, Thessalonica, that area. Um, and he is seeing their suffering, and he is seeing how little they have, as we will read, and yet they are being faithful. And then there's the church at Corinth, which we will talk a little bit more about this next week than, than this week. But at the church at Corinth, they are um, they're blessed, and yet they're not being timely with the things that they have committed to do. As a church, they had decided to do some things. They believed that, that God had called them to help meet a specific need in Jerusalem. And, and we will see this as we read, but I wanted to preface it and say it so that as we read, it, it goes a, a little sm- more smoothly. Um, and so, as he's seeing their hesitations, he is basically just exhorting them, encouraging them, and, and challenging them not to do anything that he has talked them into doing, but to do what they have already committed to do and what, and what Paul has told people. Hey, this church is committed to do these things, and, and yet they're, they're being slow and following through. And so with that said, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And if there's anything messed up here, it's not Carol's fault. The computer was giving us some problems this morning. And I had to do some things manually, so you can blame me for that. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, I want to look at a couple of things here. First of all, uh, remember the churches, he's writing to the church at Corinth, that's the second Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, the second one, and he is telling them about the churches in Macedonia, and I'm sure that they probably have already heard, but just in case, Paul's including it in his letter, and he, he wants them to know uh, about the grace of God that has been given to the churches in Macedonia, and when he says grace of God in verse 1, what he's saying, what he means here is that even in their affliction, God has given them this conviction, this joy, this hope, and they are being a part of God's mission. And so this can be an, an encouragement to us. This can be a challenge to us. Because if you're like me, when things aren't going the way that you want them to, it can be very easy to lose sight of what God has called us to do. It can be very easy to lose sight in helping others or, or doing good or things like that because we're so inwardly focused. And, and I'm not saying that, that that is even preventable sometimes. Sometimes, depending on the level of our maturity and how long we have been a Christian and how severe the circumstances, how deep the affliction, we can say and know all the right things and that might not help us to feel peace, to feel this hope, to feel this grace in a moment of despair. And many of you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes all we can do is take the little bit of faith, the size of a mustard seed, and ask God to help us to trust him, to persevere. Look at verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty 
those are two things that we don't always put together. An abundance of joy and extreme poverty. How many of you in here would say that there was a time in your life where you were extremely impoverished? And let me define that. Well, first, let's define it in, uh, in an American way. You didn't know how you were going to get to the end of the week and still pay your bills on time. Anybody ever been there? Okay. Anybody ever not been able to pay your bills on time? <laughs> Less people are bold enough to raise their hands with that one. How many of you have um, been in a season of life where you honestly wondered if you were going to be able to eat that day? Has anybody ever experienced that? Several of us. And so in their extreme poverty, despair overflowed. No. This is what's encouraging about the, the Macedonians these different churches. We, we know that the churches in uh, Philippi and Thessalonica and other places in Macedonia, maybe there was just one more church that we know of for sure, but that, that they were started in turmoil. They were started in affliction. And yet God blessed them. And not only were they able, in their extreme poverty, not only were they able to have an abundance of joy, there was a generosity that overflowed from them. And so often in our culture, we think I, we will help people when we get to this level of savings or when we get to this level of security, then we will help people in need. Then we will give more to the church or to charity or whatever. But what we see in Scripture is, is that we're called to obedience even in the midst of our extreme poverty. And I don't know how many of you in here right now are in extreme poverty, but whether you are or whether you're wealthy, we are called to be abundant in our joy and in our generosity. We are called to help others. And so many of you in this church do that. I have seen so many examples, not just a few times since I've been here, week after week after week, after week, I have seen examples of your generosity through our church and through our community and, and beyond. And it, it amazes me. I have seen in my time as a Christian, I have seen God use people to do incredible things. I have seen people who didn't have much at all go and volunteer. Um, when I was down volunteering after Katrina, um, some of the people there had, you know, owned their own businesses and just told somebody else to run it while they came and helped. And that is amazing. That takes sacrifice in itself. If, if you have ran a business, you know that not being there is difficult. Uh, but then there were some people who were making extreme sacrifices, who didn't know how they were going to pay their bills when they got home, and yet they were still there helping others. And I guarantee you that in Florida right now, on the East Coast where the first hurricane hit, Right now, I guarantee you that there are people on their way, people who love Jesus, on their way to help, even though it's, it's going to cost them to do so. And so our circumstances should not define the level, maybe I shouldn't say level, 
should not define our commitment to generosity. The level of our wealth should not affect the level of our commitment to generosity. We see examples of this in the New Testament. The one that comes to mind is, is Jesus in the temple and the lady, right, who brings, he's, he's telling the story of the lady who uh, brings just the basically two pennies, and then there's the person who brings a lot, and which one does Jesus commend? The one who brings a little, because she's given all she has. It's not the quantity of your gift, it's the quality of your gift. It's not how much you give the total amount. It's the level of sacrifice it takes to give that amount. I mean, what is it for us to help someone with $10 if we have 10000 in our savings account? What's $10? If you have 10,000. But what level of sacrifice? Some of you are like 10,000. I don't have $10 in my savings account. But anyway, extreme poverty. We're still to be abundant in generosity. But for some people, $10 is all you have, and you're giving everything you have. Which gift is more precious? It's the $10. Now, God, I believe, can use anything from anywhere. I mean, we see examples in Scripture where he uses pagan kings, um, just meaning that they weren't uh, Israelites in the Old Testament. And uh, he uses them to do his work, to be his tool. We see this time and time again in the, in, in the Bible. And so I'm not saying that God can't use anything. I'm just saying what honors God most and what he seems to use the most are gifts of sacrifice that come from a pure heart come from someone who is committed to him. Uh, look at verse 3. For they gave according to their means, so that's good, we should give according to our ability, as I can testify, but look at this, and beyond their means, of their own accord, not beyond their means because their pastor or because Paul told them that this is what they're supposed to do. That's not what it says. For they gave according to their means, that's good. We should all give according to our means and beyond their means of their own accord. They sacrificed. They, they hurt to help others. And we've seen this time and time again. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate example, and we'll see that as we go into to Scripture. Um, but some of you uh, may be asking, well, what is an appropriate amount to give? How much should I give? What percentage should I give? And different people say different things. And it's, I don't think it's my job to stand here and tell you individually how much you each should give. In the Old Testament, even before the law came, there was an example of giving a tenth. And we see this uh, in early in Genesis, before the law came, in Exodus, early in Genesis when Abraham and Melchizedek, I don't know how you say his name exactly, but it's fun to say Melchizedek. Anyway, um, and then there's another guy in that... Uh, passage of scripture, and I don't know how you pronounce his name, but I pronounce it Cheddar Lamer because that's amazing. Uh, I tried to name John Michael that, but Rose wouldn't allow it. Um, 
But anyway, we see that uh, Abraham has had success in, in rescuing Lot, and he's taken the spoils of war of the people that were trying to harm Lot and him. And, and rather than keeping it, he gave some, and Melchizedek the priest was there to take his offering. And we see throughout the Old Testament examples of, of different gifts. Okay, there was a tithe, which literally means a tenth. They gave a tenth of their income to the church. Um, but there were also different offerings where they were supposed to give different things, different grain offerings and other things. And so um, it's not real clear how much exactly people gave. And then you get to the New Testament, and the tithe isn't mentioned that much, um, but what is mentioned is this. For they gave according to their means, and as I, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. If we're able to give that much in the Old Testament before the Holy Spirit came, how much are we able to give with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the empowerment? If we are able to give according to the law, how much can we give according to grace and freedom? And so, how much should you give? I, I think you should pray about that. And I think you should consider more than you're currently giving. But, maybe you're giving exactly what you need to give right now. Maybe you have prayed about this. Maybe you are faithful. Maybe you're, you are giving not, not only according to your means, but you're giving sacrificially beyond your means. Um, we are to each individually pray about what to give. And next week, we'll look at a verse that says that we are to give cheerfully. If we, if we can't give cheerfully, then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But here we see that they're able to give beyond their means. Verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So why are they trying to give? What are they giving toward? This isn't just to their church. This isn't just a tithe to their church. This is missions. This is beyond that. And we as a church do that. We do it often. Um, we have a Sunday school class that primarily, maybe solely, um, I don't look at the, the income, so I don't know who gives to what, uh, but they support hand-in-hand hand where we give out bags of grocery each week right here in the fellowship hall, and they are able to do that because of the generosity of the people in their class. We give, every time you put money in the offering plate, we give 10%, I believe. Maybe somebody on the finance team can help me, but I think it's 10% to uh, the cooperative program, which if you're not familiar with Southern Baptist work, that means that 10% of it goes outside of our church to do missions outside of our church. Some of that stays here in Arkansas, some of it stays here in North America, and the rest of it goes to the nations. And then we give to special offerings, where we had Dixie Jackson last month. We will have uh, the Arkansas Baptist Children's Home offering uh, during Thanksgiving. We will have uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering during Christmas, and then we will have the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And 100% of those offerings leave our church. We, we don't keep any of them. And so we do the relief of the saints. Uh, we do disaster relief work. Terry and Nan have been trained in disaster relief. 
Um, I used to be a leader in disaster relief, a uh, team leader, and um, we, we've, I've been and sent people to, uh, well, I went after Katrina, but we also went to Houston. We went to uh, Moore, Oklahoma after the tornado there, to New York um, to, when the hurricane hit up there. And there are people right now on the East Coast, and there are chainsaw crews in Florida. There are people right now serving. And when we give, part of that money goes to disaster relief. Did you know that in North America, disaster relief by the Southern Baptists is the largest relief agency in our country? You might have thought it was the Red Cross. You might have thought that it was um, the Salvation Army, which both are great organizations and uh, disaster relief partners with them in doing their work. And we are the ones cooking the meals, and a lot of times they are the ones handing those meals out. And so that's seen. Um, but I just say that to say that this wasn't just something that happened. People didn't need, just need help back in the first century. People need help now. And our church, we have declined in numbers from where the church was however many years ago, three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. This church, local church, our church. And, of course, we've been growing and great things are happening. Um, But financially, we are limited in what we can give. This would be true if we had a 1,000 people. We are limited to what we can give according to what we have. The church is not a person who can just earn more and give more. We have to determine as a church how to give our money to whom to give whom to give it to, uh, to whom to give it, and and things like that. And so, but we as individuals, Rose and I, yes, we have a set income. Yes, we have bills that we know we have to pay each month. But we can make sacrifices. And I want to be very careful here, and I've thought a lot about what to say and what not to say about my personal giving because the Bible says that you should not let the left hand know what the right hand is given, you know, vice versa. And, uh, but I will say that Rose and I have always been convicted and committed to giving a tithe. And again, we, we have people who count our money, okay? You write a check, someone's got to count it, and someone's got to keep up with it. Kimberly, our secretary, is the only one who is able to see all of that, um, the people who count, we have different counters each week so that they never know who's given what. And plus, you have the ability to give anonymously, cash. Um, now, of course, that won't be counted toward your charitable contributions for the IRS, but you have the ability to do so um, if, if it's anonymous. And so this is, I'm not keeping score here. I have no idea what any of you give. I'm just preaching the word and saying that individually we have to be committed to giving a certain floor amount level and I would encourage that to be a tenth Um, but each family pray about that consider that and then what do we give beyond that and you might say but it hurts I know I've never been wealthy now compared to some people in the world I'm extremely wealthy but according to American standards definitely not wealthy. And yet, Rose and I still are still committed to giving. 
and, and to given not just according to our means, but striving to give beyond our means and striving to give sacrificially. And so the question is, are you doing that? Are you being faithful? Are you helping those in need? And you can give right now to help those in need. You can give directly to the Southern Baptist Convention's disaster relief. You can give directly to the Red Cross or, or to your um, charity of choice to help people who are suffering right now. There are agencies all around the world. There are Christians all around the world. And I, and I would encourage you to, to give priority to Christian organizations and to the church itself. Um, because in our local community, I don't think that there is any better charity than our local church. What local agency or, or even another church, and maybe I'm, I'm a little pride, you know, proud of our church, um, but who helps as many people as we help? We're faithful in, in helping people. And so whether you're given the hand in hand or whether you're just given to the general budget, whether you're given to the clothes closet, whether you're given to, um, we have a widows and widowers and singles ministry, in case you didn't know. Um, where, wherever you're giving, you can give it to people who are faithful with it, whether it's a local church or somewhere else. Just pray about that and consider it. And we need to give to help people. And here's the truth. If, if, our, if we are to use our gifts, and I'm saying going back to our natural gifts and our spiritual gifts, our God-given abilities, if we are to be good stewards of those to honor him, if we are to be good stewards of our salvation to honor him, shouldn't it be true that we are to be good stewards of everything, everything we have, every gift we have been given according to the measure of grace given to us? And the Macedonians were given a level of grace that was amazing because even in the midst of their extreme poverty, they had abundant joy, and they gave generously, extremely and so, are we given what we need to do? Now, at the, in the new year, in January, we're going to do, on Sunday nights, we are going to, to, to do two different things. We are going to do a finance class, and we are going to have something else in here. We're going to do both of those say, things simultaneously. And for those of you interested in the financial course, you might be saying right now, I would love to give more, but I can't even pay my own bills. We're going to talk about some of that. We're going to talk about the, just the um, first steps of knowing how to make a budget, knowing how to balance a checkbook. Well, I don't know if anybody ever has a checkbook anymore, but knowing how to balance your bank account, making sure where you are. Um, we, you, you have to use your intelligence and do those things in order for God to be able to use these gifts. If you don't have any money, then, then you can't use it. But if you have two pennies, God can use it. If, you have, if all you have left over at the end of the month is $10 and you are committed to giving faithfully, I believe that God can use it. And, and you can get yourself in a place where you can continue to give more. You can give beyond measure now, and you can always give to the measure that God has blessed you. And then beyond at specific times. Okay, I have to continue to go begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They wanted to help others. They asked Paul, can we help? And specifically, they're helping people in Jerusalem who are experiencing even greater suffering than they are. 
And so they asked for the privilege to help. And this, not as we expected. Paul didn't even expect this. They asked and went beyond. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They were faithful in what God asked them to give. I believe this means locally. And then they went beyond their local church and wanted to help beyond that in the needs of those in Jerusalem, and what Paul's doing in his traveling, and those who are going with him. Verse 6. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So he's sending Titus to help them with the commitments they made. Verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I know you know this, but you can't just pick and choose where you're going to be faithful in your life. You know, I'm going to be faithful to my children. I'm going to be faithful to being a hard worker. I'm going to be faithful to giving to the church. I'm going to be faithful to showing up every Sunday, but I'm going to cheat on my wife. Is that okay? No, that, of course not, right? I'm being facetious. That is not okay, never. And what we have to do is be faithful in all things. And the Corinthian church was having, they were struggling here and being faithful in fulfilling the commitment that they made. And we'll see this spelled out more in the next chapter next week. But anyway, verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Saying, think outside of yourself. Look to the people who are in need. Look to how you can help. Love others and let it be genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Who is the ultimate example in giving beyond your means? It's Jesus. Jesus gave everything he had. What did he tell the people who wanted to follow him? He said, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Foxes have dens. A fox has more than me. Jesus gave everything, even his life. And so what are we giving? How are we helping? Are we giving sacrificially? And I, I just want to say this, and, and I'll close, even though I'm not even near the end of the chapter, but we, we got enough to know where we're going next week in chapter 9, so... Um, I am the pastor of this church. So it would be foolish for me to say that I don't um, care about the finances. I'm not concerned about the finances of this church. I do care. But it's not my job to worry about that in the sense of, are we going to be able to pay our bills? Which is not a problem, by the way. Are we going to be able to help with this mission or that mission? We need this person to give or that person to give. Of course, I don't know by name who's given or who's not, but just theoretically. I'm not going to worry about that. I trust God. I trust God that it's my job for me to be faithful to him, for me and my family to be faithful to him. And then he will bless that. And then I will work with whatever he has given me in every other area of my life. And... So I'm not saying I don't care about the finances, but let me make it clear. I care much more about us living wholeheartedly for Jesus 
I care much more about us not picking and choosing how to be faithful and how not to be faithful. I care much more about your relationship with God and if you're not giving any part of your life to him, then that is a reflection of a weakness in your relationship, in my relationship with him. If we're not giving any part of our life to him, then that's a reflection. And so, why am I preaching this? Well, I'm preaching it for a lot of reasons. One reason is, is because we as a church, we are mission-minded. We have big ideas, and they're not coming from the pastor. Now, other people like Nan Williams might be guilty of having some big ideas, but I don't know that y'all have ever accused me of thinking too hard on something. But my point is this. We can't accomplish things that cost money if we as individuals are not faithful. And so I'm not going to worry about how much money we have in the bank. I'm, I am going to be a good steward and be wise. I'm not going to put our church in financial distress where we can't pay our bills next week or anything like that. So when I'm asked for advice by the finance team or someone else, then of course I'm thinking about those things. I know where we are financially. I know where in every line item, which of you need to be careful on overspending your budgets. I know those things because that's my job as a leader. But I also know that God is going to be faithful with whatever we give him if it's given in sacrificially and in earnest. And so I'm more concerned that we all just give sacrificially, that we all are faithful in our giving, not just to the local church, but to those in need. I know of a story this week where someone was given $100 um, for something, and that person decided, uh, okay, I didn't need this. It's good to be in a place like that, right? <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out how to give this away. And um, so they, the, as soon as they got that, they went to a restaurant and they decided to give a $20 tip. And when they gave that tip, the waitress started crying and she was like, what is this? And it was a fast food restaurant. So, you know, you usually don't get tips. And, um, the person just said, well, I was just giving some money and I felt like God would want me to pass that on. And he, he's been faithful, that kind of thing. And the waitress was crying and said, this has been one of the worst weeks of my life. And you just made it better. I needed this. You have no idea what this means to me. When that person got $100, of course $100 means something, right, to anybody at any time. Well, maybe not anybody, but to me it does. And so I'm sure to this person it did. And, and yet they sewed that back in. And what did God do? He used it immediately. Now, what if we give to someone and they're not faithful with it or they do something nefarious with it? Well, that's not between us and them. That's between them and God. What's between us and God is for us to give faithfully, for us to give sacrificially. And so how can we do that to help others? So that's what I want you to be thinking about. And if you have a role in this church, and if you are a member of this church, then I hope you have a role. Because as we've been looking at, 
every member of the body of Christ has a purpose, and you need to be playing your part in that purpose in order for our church to be the church that God has called us to be. But for you specifically, individually, when it comes to finances, how has God blessed you? Has he given you a little? Then be faithful with that little, because with whom little, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, but to whom little is given, a little is expected. We're to be faithful with a little before God is to trust us with more and bless us with more. And I think the same can be said for our church. So I believe as a pastor, if I'm faithful, if the teams of our church are faithful in doing God's will and in, in serving our community and beyond, then we don't have to worry about the finances. We're just faithful with what God has given us. And the same can be said in your individual life. How has God blessed you? And how can you use those blessings to help others? We are to be good stewards of our finances. Now, next week, we will see some more in in this line of what's going on. But right now, maybe you need to spend some time praying between you and God. Maybe I was talking about giving everything over to God, and you haven't even taken the first step, which is putting your faith in Him. This morning, you can place your faith in Him. Maybe you have your faith in Him, but... Maybe you're one of those people who has been picking and choosing which areas of your life to be faithful in. You can commit to him this morning. Lord, I need to be faithful in all of it. Lord, help me. Give me grace to be faithful, not just according to the measure of God's grace, but beyond what he has blessed us with into something supernatural. How can we honor God with our giving? Let us pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that that right now, that we would respond to you in whatever way you convicted us during this sermon. Lord, how can we help others? How can we be faithful with what you have given us? How should we, Lord, give to the church? And what should we as a church do with what we have been given? How are we to honor you in our lives individually and as a church? And God, I just pray that you would help us to be faithful in this area. Lord, I pray that right now, as we're in this room as we're about to go home, Lord, that we would not be distracted during this time, that we we could make some things concrete in our mind of how we need to serve you better. Convict us during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.